This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 621. Most of us have some goals that are similar. We want freedom. We want our time back. We don't want to be stuck in a commute. That's pretty much an overall general consensus we can all agree with. But there's some people that really want to make a ton of money and they're limited in their ability to do so at their W-2 job. There's other people that just want a little bit of money, but they want it to come easy. There's other people that know they have a creative itch that they want to scratch and real estate helps them do it. And then there's other people that just love human beings and they want to work in an industry where they get to talk to and sort of be in touch with other people. What's up, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, coming at you today with a Seeing Green episode. In today's show, we are going to take questions from different people that have submitted them, and you're going to hear my perspective, how I see it, because I'm Mr. Green. We have a lot of really good stuff for you, several different topics that I don't get asked very often that I thought was really cool that people ask questions. So one of them had to do with, is there a way around a debt service coverage ratio loan, or is that my only option when it comes to getting financing if I don't have a W-2 job? We go into a very, very sort of a a deeper situation of when you should pay off your property's mortgages and when you should use uh, financing or leverage. I think there's a lot to learn from understanding there's not one way to do it, but there is usually a right way for you to do it. And so I break down this particular situation and give advice that you might not be expecting me to give. And then I actually talk about why I decide to publish my books with Bigger Pockets Publishing. All that and more at this Seeing Green episode. If you're looking to learn, if you've got questions that you want to ask, if you want to hear other people asking questions so that you don't have to be the one to ask it, this is the right place to be. And for today's quick tip, speaking of Bigger Pockets Publishing, my newest book just dropped today with them. It's called Skill. So I, my last book that I wrote was called Soul. This was a book written for real estate agents to learn how to make money in the real estate agent game. This book is about how to become a top producer and make really good money. So if there's a real estate agent in your life that you know, that you love, that you appreciate, that you're rooting for, go to biggerpockets.com slash skill and get a copy of this book to give to them. It is a very difficult business to be in. Most people have no direction of what to do. And this book is written to give a very specific play-by-play for real estate agents to be good at their job. So if you're working with an agent that's good, but you want them to be great, if you have people in your life that sell homes and you think that they would be happier if they made more money, please go get them this book, give it to them. I would appreciate it. And so would they. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, You can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature 
Proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid Certified Reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. All right, that's enough ado. Let's get into today's show. Hi, Blessing. David, my name is Deborah Fung. Uh, my questions for you are... Okay, I'm a, a a widow. I lost my husband a couple months ago. And right now I'm not working. I quit my job as a teacher um, a year and a half ago to stay home taking care of him. And after he's gone, he left me with uh, his life insurance. So um, I get the life insurance. I pay off the house I'm currently living so I also purchased a property in Colorado Spring, pay off, and I still have $200,000 cash in my hand. Now I learned about these real estate investment, made me feel like paying off my mortgage wasn't a, the smartest move. Um, however, my, I'm thinking, should I get a cash out refinance? from the current two properties that I have already paid off to buy more properties. And um, also, um, I don't know, should I pay them off or should I just, I mean, for the new property, should I just do a uh, 25% down payment? Um, also for the 200,000 cash in hand, the, the same thing, do I, do I uh, find Property, more properties just paid the initial initial down payment or just or should I just buy one property uh, within the $200,000 range pay them off and, and receive rent coming in as the positive cash flow uh, currently I'm still taking care of three kids two are in college and one is uh, staying home with me he's a um, he, he's He'll be a sophomore in high school. So, yeah, that's my questions. And thank you for your help. Bye. 
Hey, Deborah, thank you for the question. First off, condolences. I'm very sorry to hear about your husband and please send those condolences to your kids as well. I lost my dad when I was 27 and my brothers were even younger than me and it's incredibly hard when that happens. Sometimes it feels like the entire cornerstone of your family falls apart. So you'll be in my prayers. As far as the question from a practical perspective that you're asking here of should you take out loans or should you own properties free and clear? And if you're going to take out a loan, how much should you be taking out? I see all the options that you're presenting, and I can tell from the way you're spitballing that you got a lot of uncertainty and questions in your mind, and I'm really glad you reached out. Let's talk about when you should take out loans and use what we call leverage and when you should pay a property off. The majority of the time, the people that are listening to me are coming from a perspective of trying to grow an empire. Okay, so the advice I would give them is different than you if you have a different goal than what they have. And that's what we have to get into here. This is the way that I look at borrowing money to buy homes or using leverage. It will increase your ability to grow wealth, which is what I'm going to call offense. But it comes at the price of being more risky, which is what I would refer to as defense. So ideally, we want to be able to have as much offense as possible with as much safety or defense as possible. And that's what we're striving for. But the two are typically mutually exclusive. You can't have both at the same time. So what somebody has to figure out is how much do I care about risk and how much do I care about growth? So for you, Deborah, anytime you take out a loan, you have to make the debt payment on it. And as a new investor, you could easily find yourself in a place where you pick the wrong tenant or you buy the wrong property and you're not able to generate rent from the person or you have to spend money to fix things up. And now you're in this situation where you don't have enough money to make the payment on the mortgage and you're also not making money from the property and you could lose the entire thing. And that's what I don't want to see for somebody in your situation. Now, if you're not working and you don't plan to work, that does increase the risk of investing in real estate. And the reason it increases the risk is you don't have money coming in from a job in case you make a bad decision or something goes wrong with the property. You're sort of operating without a bulletproof vest, I would say. One mistake, that bullet's going to get right in there and it can really hurt you. That's what I don't want to see happen. Now, if you're planning on getting a job and you are going to work and you think you can generate decent money... That now opens up some doors to where financing could be a safe option for you because even if something goes wrong, you've got a cushion with money coming in from work. So the first question to ask yourself is, do you want to work? Are you willing to work? Or is that not the case? There's so many scenarios that I could lay out for you. But in general, if you're not going to work, I would probably advise you to not take out a loan, okay? Just buy whatever you're going to buy in cash and at least learn how to invest in real estate with as little risk as possible. You're still going to have property taxes. You're still going to have homeowner's insurance. You're still going to have different expenses like repairs and maintenance that are going to pop up. But you are having less of a debt service if you're not taking on a loan so that you can kind of learn the ropes. It's kind of like training wheels while learning to ride a bike. Now, let's say you take to this like a fish in the water, or at least you become competent at it. At that point, you're going to make better decisions on what you buy and how to manage it. And at at that stage, I would say taking out a loan to buy property could make some sense because you're not learning at the same time that your risk is high. Your risk is going to be much lower because you've already learned how to do the job and there's less surprises that are going to jump out for you. And if you do that well, you may never have to get a job because you can make a career investing in real estate full time 
All the money you make can come from the rent. But you're not going to do this by just snapping your fingers, jumping in and becoming an amazing investor. You're going to have to start very small, start slow, start with low risk, buy in good areas, pay the house off, learn how to manage the tenants. I would recommend looking for what we call small multifamily, a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, something along those lines. If you can, with $150,000, maybe you had more. I think you said you have 150 k You're probably not going to get a bigger property like 10 units. It's going to be very hard to make that work. So get what you can get for the money. Pay cash for it. Make sure you buy in the right area. Get a property manager that's really good that can kind of teach you the ropes. Get that first property, see how that goes, and then scale from there. Next question is from Yasir in Atlanta. I'm a 21-year-old from Atlanta, Georgia, and was trying to see what you do if you were in my shoes. I've never bought any real estate. I got a good job paying well, and I just didn't want to let that money sit in the bank. Should I start with a multifamily unit? How much should I save for emergencies? Really good here, Yasir. First off, this is a situation where you would really benefit from listening to the Bigger Pockets Money Show. So they get into personal finance, how to live beneath your means, how to make more money, how to manage the money that you have at a more holistic level than just investing in real estate. So you should check that out. And other people that are in your situation, especially younger people that haven't learned how to manage money yet, can get a lot from listening to a show like that. Let those seeds get planted of how to build and grow wealth at a very young age. Second off, before you start worrying a ton about investing in real estate, I think your energy would be better put towards finding a career. Do you know what you want to do? Are you going to work in the trades? Can you make good money learning a trade? Are you in college right now and you plan to get out of school and work a job? Do you know what you're going to do to make money? So making money at work is much less risk than just buying real estate. And the best real estate investments typically happen when you're already making decent money at a job and you can afford to take on a mortgage. Now, I'm going to assume here that you have some money saved up, you're able to do this, you're ready to buy real estate, you're financially strong because that's the position that I advise most people to start from. If you're not at that position, get to that position first. But if you are there, you should house hack. You should look for small multifamily property that you can afford, live in the house and rent out the other units. Or maybe buy a house with a lot of bedrooms, live in one bedroom and rent out the other bedrooms. When you're young, this strategy works the best. You're not going to want to rent out bedrooms if you're married, if you have kids. It's a completely different scenario. So if you're still young and you're single, which I'm assuming you are, you actually didn't mention that. Buying a house and renting out the rooms is one of the best ways to learn the fundamentals of real estate investing, choosing tenants, having them sign leases, managing people while keeping your risk relatively low. Bigger Pockets has a book on house hacking written by Craig Kurlop. I would recommend that you check that one out. Get some ideas of how to house hack as well as Google the term house hack and learn some strategies that you can use where you can put a very low down payment, three and a half percent, get your first property and learn the fundamentals without taking too much risk. Hi, David. Uh, my name's David also. Uh, firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for all the content that you put out and all the insight, insights that you provide. Um, you, you've taught me so much and you've really helped change uh, you know, my wife and I's life, really. Um, so just can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, just to give you a background, oh, we own uh, a number of short-term rentals. Uh, we own a few long-term rentals, but mainly short-term rentals in Tennessee. Um, we've purchased them over the last few years. They do really well for us uh, cash flow wise. Um, we recently purchased an um, expensive home um, here in Orange County in California. Um, so we uh, are actually 
pretty much using all of our W-2. I work as a teacher, my wife works in retail and we're pretty much using all of our W-2 income that's gonna go directly to our mortgage. We, we earn a lot more money from our rentals, but um, we've always thought about cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, you've kind of helped shift our mindset with um, looking more about appreciation, just underlying the, the benefits, particularly the long-term benefits of appreciation. So we've really um, shifted um, our, our, our thought about that. Um, but with this higher price property that we've just bought, we're starting to like be in a little bit of two minds, like do we need some more of that cash flow that may have not been as important um, previously? Um, we uh, are kind of at a point where we've <clears throat> been able to refinance a lot of those properties. So we have quite a lot of capital to be able to deploy that we want to purchase more uh, rental properties with. Um, we are in two minds um, as to do we just keep going with the cash flow, just keep buying in these vacation markets, or do we diversify, potentially buy in more of your traditional markets um, that have the likelihood to appreciate population growth, job growth, all those kind of kind of things. Um, uh, you know, places like Phoenix or Tampa or you know Salt Lake City, those kind of places. Um, you know, so so maybe just wanted to get your idea on. Um, based on our situation, what you would advise. I know you've had some people on your on your podcast before talking about um, renting by the room, just being creative like that. We're, we're pretty um, on top of the short-term rental thing, so we feel really comfortable with Airbnb. So we're more than willing to do something like that, even in a more traditional market, provided the regulations lend itself to that. Um, but yeah, really want to shift away from the the vacation rental markets that that have been so good to us. But then at the same time, still want to be able to make a little bit of cash flow. So just wanted to get your idea on what you think. Um, maybe you could point us in the right direction. We're at a bit of a crossroads at the moment. And then potentially if you if you have some ideas on, on markets, I know I mentioned some of those growing markets that we all know about. But um, yeah, just wanted to get your insights on, on, on this particular situation for us and, and any advice you might have. Thanks again for everything. And uh, I hope to hear from you soon. Thanks. Hey, David, thank you for the question. All right, here's what I'm picking up from the way you went about that. You and your wife are not sure what your goal is. You know you want to make money in real estate, but you don't know how. You don't know what you want your life to look like. You're not sure what you value the most. And because of that, you're kind of bouncing around between all of these different options, and you're not sure which direction to take. Let's break down in general the different roads you've got. You've got the high cash flow row. This is where you're going to try to build up as much cash flow as you can every month, meaning the properties are going to generate rental income and your expenses are lower than that. So you get to keep that money. You kind of get the immediate payoff right off the bat of cash flow. In general, cash flow comes at the expense of appreciation because you usually make more cash flow in markets where homes are lower priced and therefore don't go up as much. Or you make more cash flow at the expense of more work, which would be the, the short-term rental market where you got to put in more work to get that cash flow. Then you've got the appreciation row. This is going to make you the most wealth in real estate, but it comes with the most delayed gratification as well as the highest risk. Because when you're playing the appreciation game, you're not getting as much cash flow or sometimes you don't get hardly any. And so you could lose the property more easily than if it was cash flowing very strong. And even when it does work out, you don't have access to that money. It sits in equity in the property until you access it via a cash out refinance or selling the property. So the appreciation road, as opposed to the cash flow road, has less of an immediate payoff. It's more of a long-term play. 
Then you've got the short-term rental game, which kind of stepped into the industry that combines the two of them. You're now able to buy in high appreciating markets and generate more cash flow, but it comes at the expense of being more active and less passive. So here's your problem, David. You're not sure what you want to do. It sounds like you don't want to have to work a lot and you want a lot of cash flow, but you also want a lot of appreciation and that's why you're stuck. My advice is that you and your wife are going to have to sit down and ask yourself, what kind of lifestyle do we want to live? If it's all about having more of your time back now, I would say you should chase after cash flowing properties that are stronger on that side, which are probably going to be small multifamily or larger multifamily that you probably haven't considered. You can hire a property manager and manage it. It will put off more cash flow and you won't be as directly involved. If you say, no, we're willing to work right now, then the short-term rental game is what you should keep doing and you should just find different markets to get into if you can't make it work in the one you're at. The more short-term rentals you get, the more income you can generate, the more money you have to pay someone else to manage it for you, and that's one way that you can get your time back. Another road that you could consider would be the appreciation game where you say, hey, we're willing to work really hard right now. We don't need as much time. But when our kids are older, that's when we want to know that we've got a lot of money set aside. So I can't answer your question unless you know what your goal is. If you're really not liking short-term rentals, because that was my original thought when you were talking is, hey, you want appreciation and cash flow? That's the perfect mix. You got to hire somebody else to manage these properties for you. Now, I'm actually looking for something like that myself. I've got a couple short-term rentals now and I plan on getting more. I want to hire a person that will manage the logistics of it. So if you're listening and you want to make some extra money, get paid by the hour, message me if you have experience with short-term rentals. David, you could do the exact same thing. I'm looking for someone that has done it before. They can manage the cleaners, the supplies, the reviews. They don't have to worry about getting it booked, but they do have to make sure it's ready for the next guest that wants to stay in it. If I can do this, so can you. That's what I think that you should be looking for. But before you get too deep into that, you got to talk to your wife and figure out what you want your life to look like. Then submit another question letting me know, and I'll give you some more specific advice about different strategies or roads that you could take to get where you want. Hey, we've had some great questions so far. I love being able to do these episodes, so I need more of your questions to keep doing it. Please go to biggerpockets.com slash David and submit your question there. For everyone that has already submitted, thank you very much. If you're listening to this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button so you get notified when additional episodes come out, as well as like this and share it with anyone you know who's also a real estate geek. At this segment of the show, we like to read some of the comments from previously shows we've done and give some airtime to people that were on YouTube and participating in the conversation there. Our first comment comes from Daphne Hill. Love these shows, David. You are a natural teacher and never make guests feel like their questions are dumb or have been answered hundreds of times before. Thank you. Thank you for that, Daphne. I appreciate that. It made me feel good. Next comment comes from Lauren. David, I would appreciate some bookkeeping recommendations. Should each property have a separate bank account or use one account for all properties? Set everything to auto pay, et cetera. In my personal situation, I have no partners closing on my first short-term rental in April and looking to get my second short-term rental after. Thanks. Well, Lauren, I will try to answer this, but I will say I don't know that my way is necessarily the best way. And I know that right off the bat. How I typically work bookkeeping is that I have all of my single family properties managed uh, in one account. So I have a bookkeeper that goes over all the property management statements, puts them into a spreadsheet. I can see what every property makes or loses. 
And all of the expenses are on auto pay coming out of that account as well as all the income goes into it. I have a separate account for short-term rentals. And the reason I created a separate account is I wanted to keep more reserves in that account than in the other ones because I feel like the income from short-term rentals is less reliable. So therefore, I offset that risk by putting more reserves in that account. Then I have a different account set up for my 15 or $16 million property that I bought because it's huge and it needs a ton of money in reserves. And I don't want that money to be mingled with the other money because I need to have extra money in there for that really big property where the mortgage is $80,000 every single month. Then I've got a different account set up for my real estate sales, a different account set up for money that comes from the one brokerage and, and so on and so forth. I, I run a private mastermind where I teach people how to build wealth and how to be entrepreneurs. And so like that has its own bank account. So I like to keep mine basically by income stream is how I set up my bookkeeping. And I have different accounts for the different sources of income. Now, there are some sources of income that kind of all fit together, like all of the single family rentals or book royalties that I would receive, okay? There's times where, or maybe speaking fees, I can put all those into the same account. But I typically put all the money into the same account when there's not expenses associated with it. So for example, I don't have expenses associated with book royalties from books that I've written. There's nothing that I'm paying for that. So I'm okay to stick all that into an account because there's nothing coming out. There's no risk associated with that. And that's just kind of the way that I set it up. If I have an income stream that has some risk associated with it, I put it in a separate account where I can keep more reserves in that specific account. And then I have a spreadsheet that my bookkeeper has to take all of these different income streams and all of these different businesses and take my net profit from every profit and loss and put it in the column for that income stream. Then I look at that every single month and I see, hey, which properties are doing well, which asset class is doing well, where am I losing money, where am I making money? And I kind of put my time and energy towards the stuff that I think is making more money. Now, I'm in the process of switching bookkeepers right now, and it's taken them a long time to get up to speed. So it's probably been three or four months now I've been flying blind where I haven't been able to see yet how much of these businesses are making. And I hate this feeling. It's just the worst every time you have to switch over. But it was necessary because I'm working at a faster speed now than the person that I had could keep up with. So I don't know that I answered your question, but hopefully by giving you a little bit of insight into me and my life and how I'm structured, that right answers will make themselves known for you. Our next question comes from William Kahn. Love the show. Just giving a comment to support you guys. Thank you for that, William. Appreciate it. Next comment comes from CD Main. Wow, finally the audio isn't screaming for help. Hey, we're slowly getting better. Shout out to the production team at the Bigger Pockets Podcast for making me sound like a normal human being. I tend to move around a lot when I talk. I get too close to the mic. I get further away from the mic. I don't know why I do that, but I just, I'm a person that can't sit still. Do you guys have that problem? Do you ever get a phone call and you start talking on the phone and you get up and start walking around? That is me every single time. I constantly walk around the parking lot of the uh, area where my offices are because I can't sit still and talk on the phone. If that's you, if you do the same thing, tell me in the comments. Tell me I'm not the only crazy person that has this compulsion to move around and walk when I'm on the phone. And then also let Bigger Pockets know that you love the production team, that they're doing a great job, that my audio sounds good, and that they got me looking fresh. Last comment comes from Randoms on My Mind. Wow, that house hacking topic was fantastic. I didn't think about the math behind house hacking. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> 
Well, that's what I'm here for. It's to open your eyes as to new strategies that you might not have understood because I've helped so many clients with house hacking and I've done it myself that I have some unique insight into that that not everybody has. So if you live in California and you want to house hack, reach out, let me know. I'd love to be able to help you do that. Same thing goes if you have a house you want to sell or if you need a loan, I would love to work with you. And what I'd love even more is if more of you leave comments like this, letting us know what you like about the show. So please Tell us what hit, tell us what you like, tell us what made you think, tell us what worked, and then even say, hey, if I don't like this part of the show, that's okay. Let us know that too. So if you're not following on YouTube, make sure you do so and leave me a comment. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You you got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light doc and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. 
PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Hi, David from Melbourne, Australia. I'm Jenny. I'm a professor and a real estate investor with properties in Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Melbourne. I'm wondering if Bigger Pockets Publishing would be interested in a book I'm writing called Investing in Real Estate Like a Professor. The book is aligned with the goals of Bigger Pockets to help people make good decisions about getting started and building a sustainable portfolio in real estate. Professors have a particular way of looking at the world, which I think a lot of investors and would-be investors will relate to. Our perspective weaves through the lessons of history, the dilemmas of the human condition, and applies these big ideas to our own lives. I started writing it with other professors in mind as my audience, but I think now that the book would also appeal to a general audience like Bigger Pockets, where learning is centered in the process of investing. One thing that professors do in our jobs is publish, so I have some existing relationships with book publishers, but I've read all of your books, which are published by Bigger Pockets. My questions are, why did you decide to publish your books with Bigger Pockets instead of a traditional publisher? And how would I contact Bigger Pockets Publishing to find out if they have an interest in my book? Thanks a lot, David. All right. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, man, this is a very unique question that I haven't been asked before in a public forum. So first off, my producer of the show reached out to you to put you in touch with the Bigger Pockets Publishing team. So hopefully that goes well. As far as the next two questions, what do I think about approaching book writing? I think what I'm getting at is you're asking, what do you think about approaching writing a book from the perspective of an individual person written for their specific scenario? And then why did I choose Bigger Pockets Publishing? And the answer to both of them is, oddly enough, the same answer. So I think when you're learning how to invest in real estate, you shouldn't just be learning about, well, how do I do it? Because there's a million ways to do it. It's more, what is my goal and how do I make this work for what I want? And that's the thing is every person is different. Most of us have some goals that are similar. We want freedom. We want our time back. We don't want to be stuck in a commute. That's pretty much an overall general consensus we can all agree with. But there's some people that really want to make a ton of money and they're limited in their ability to do so at their W-2 job. There's other people that just want a little bit of money, but they want it to come easy. There's other people that know they have a creative itch that they want to scratch and real estate helps them do it. And then there's other people that just love human beings and they want to work in an industry where they get to talk to and sort of be in touch with other people. So when you're writing a book, it is best to be asking yourself, well, who's my audience that I'm writing this book to? And I'm writing it from to a perspective that they would understand. And I think that that's what you're getting about when you're talking about writing it from a professor's perspective. Well, the reason that I publish my stuff through Bigger Pockets is the majority of people that follow me, trust me, listen to me, respect me, they're people that are in the Bigger Pockets community. 
So rather than writing a, a very niche topic where I said, okay, I'm going to write about, like, say, uh, how to be a real estate investor as a first responder, because I had a career in law enforcement, I was able to write on a broader topic like long distance real estate investing or the Burr method, but give it to a more specific audience that already was looking at real estate from the same perspective of me. And that's why Bigger Pockets Publishing made the most sense. The people that were already following me were Bigger Pockets people. The people who read my books typically aren't finding about me for the first time just from the book. They're finding about the book from this podcast, from the YouTube channel, from social media, from my involvement with Bigger Pockets in general. And that means that they're more likely to get something from the book because as I hear people say, I hear your voice in my head when I'm reading it, or they've heard me answer questions like this before so they know my background or my philosophies when it comes to different real estate investing strategies. So that's why I went with Bigger Pockets Publishing. I also just really like this company. They they have a good heart. They mean well. They're trying to help people empower themselves. They're not looking at giving people a handout. They're looking at giving people a hand up. All things that I really can get behind and like. So it's also fun, frankly, to make money for the company that I love working for. So thank you for asking that question. And I wish you the best of luck on your own book writing endeavors. All right. The next question comes from Jones in my hood, the Bay Area, California. Hey, David, my question is about a HELOC for rental properties. HELOC stands for Home Equity Line of Credit. I recently bought a single family in Oakland, Montclair Hills, which I closed on earlier this year. Even before closing, I gained over 200000 in equity on the property. I bought the house for a million. The property is currently rented on a one-year lease agreement. I was looking to tap into this equity via a HELOC to grow my real estate portfolio. I also have a good amount of equity in one of my rental properties in Cincinnati. My loan balance is 85000 and I estimate property values is around one eighty. I've been researching a bit, and I found it's difficult getting a HELOC on a rental property. Why is this the case, and is there a way around it? I don't want to do a cash out refinance because I have a pretty good rate on these properties and I haven't found a property which I would like to buy yet. I don't want to have cash sitting in the bank either. So my preference is for the HELOC. Well, first off, congratulations on that property that you're able to buy. I work in that area and Montclair Hills is a great area. The fact you got something for a million means like you did really good. That's a pretty low price for that, that area. Second off, let's talk about why a HELOC is hard to get on an investment property. So what a HELOC is, is it's really a second position mortgage on a home. So the lender's only going to give a second position mortgage if there's enough equity to support paying off the first mortgage and then paying them off if something happens and the house goes into foreclosure. Most HELOCs will basically take the value of the home, subtract what you owe on that home, and let you borrow up to 80% of the difference. So you might, if you only have 20% equity in the, in the property, you might not be able to get a ton out of a HELOC on that home. Now, as to your question of why are they hard to get on investment property? The reason is because to a lender's perspective, an investor is more likely to let a house go to foreclosure than a person who lives there. So if someone lives in the property as their home, it's perceived as being more secure because people would let all their properties go except for the one they live in that would go last. So the risk profile to a lender is higher if it's an investment property. Now, there are still some banks that do it, but you're generally looking for credit unions in the area of where the home is. That's where I have found luck is going to credit unions unions to get HELOCs on investment property. Now, I also understand you don't want to have cash sitting in the bank, so the HELOC seems like your best bet. I will give you this piece of advice. 
Interest rates are going up, and HELOCs typically are adjustable rate mortgages. Everyone I've ever seen has been adjustable rate. If you take out a HELOC and you use the money, just know the payment can keep going higher as interest rates keep going higher. And if you're running your numbers based off of whatever the payment is when you first take out the money, you could find yourself surprised when the payment goes up later. Hey, David Mason here uh, from Austin, Texas. Wanted to say thank you for everything you guys at Bigger Pockets do and for this show that y'all provide to to like-minded investors. I've been listening for about nine months that have been such a huge fan. It's changed a lot of things for me. So so thank you for that. And um, I've gotten to the point where I've got to now submit my own question because it's been so valuable. Um, a, a little bit of background about me and my situation. I'm 24, uh, sold my tiny home in January for a good profit and was able to kind of use that to start a short-term rental here in Austin, Texas with my girlfriend. And the good problem to have is that it's done so well that we are just so hungry to do it again um, and rinse and repeat, so to say. We had quite the time getting the conventional loan just because I am 1099 and uh, you know, banks love W-2 income. And um, we were able to get it done, of course, but for that reason, debt service coverage ratio or DSCR loans are very attractive to me now. Um, the problem with resources and with those now is that, of course, a lot of them are requiring 15 and usually 20% down. So my main question is, is there a way to creatively finance, say, half of the down payment? Or the range that we're kind of looking in is you know, nicer homes to instead of hitting a, a so-called triple or going for a triple, trying to hit a home run with the next one. Um, and, and those kind of range of homes, 20% would be out of our resources as of right now. And I don't want to just wait and save for that long. Um, so I want to know if, if there was a way or creative financing via hard money loan or um, obviously cash out refinance is an option, but we're within that six month period where it's we, I got to wait again. But if there was an option to creatively finance, say, 10% of the 20% of down payment or equity kind of in the deal, um, and if, if lenders or someone out there did that, or if you knew of any kind of creative ideas, um, obviously there's friends and family, but I didn't know if there were other options or, or anything. But but yeah, I appreciate again what you guys do and any and all input would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. All right, Mason, you are in a position that many people are in where it's not enough just to be financing 80% of the value of the property. You're hoping to finance 90, 95% of it, maybe 100% of it, which means you don't have a big down payment. Now, the easiest way to solve this problem is to get a primary residence where you can put 5% down or 3.5% down on an FHA loan and you don't have to borrow the money. But if you're looking to buy a pure investment property, you do run into this problem. And here's why it's designed that way. In general, only people that already have a good amount of money are the ones that are buying investment properties. They're literally investing the down payment that they already have into a property, which is where they set it at 20%. But you're looking at investment property from a different perspective. You're not wanting to invest money you already have. You're wanting to grow wealth through an asset and you're wanting to borrow other people's money. You've got a couple options. So from the lending perspective, you can look into an 80-10-10 loan. That's a loan where you borrow 80% of the property's value on your first position loan. 
Then you get a HELOC or a second position loan for 10% of the remaining balance, and then you put the other 10% down yourself. So if you find a mortgage broker that you feel comfortable with, you can ask them if they have access to 801010 loans. You can always reach out to us at the one brokerage, and we can look into that for you as well. You also have the option of borrowing money from someone else. So if you're going to be putting 20% down on a property, what if you put down 10% and you borrow the money from somebody else to put down the other 10% and you split ownership 50-50? That's another option if you don't have a ton of cash. You're right to look into the debt service coverage ratio loans because you're working as a 1099 but those are typically going to be 20% down loans. There was a time where we were able to get them for our clients at 15% because we did a lot of volume. Those have gone away right now. They may be coming back later. So when you're someone that does a lot of business with us, you've done more loans, you've sent us referrals, Like now we sometimes have access to getting you those better loan programs if the lender is willing to give them out because we do a lot of business with them. But you can't count on that. That's what I'm getting at. Those are oftentimes like a, a special circumstance. So your best bet might be to make other people money through what you're doing. Give them a chunk of the equity in exchange. Maybe they put all of the down payment in and they get 60% of the equity and you get 40% of the equity in the cash flow for finding the deal and managing the whole thing. But you're going to have to come up with something like that where you find other people that have money and you give them something to make it worth their while if you don't have that cash. And then just remember, as you get older, as you do better at work, as you start making more money, you will become less and less dependent on other people till you can buy real estate with your own money. All right. Our last question comes from John Paul Kessinger in Mount Hope, West Virginia. Hey, David, I'm a paid firefighter in a small town getting paid via 1099 for my department. I'm looking at getting my first rental. I'm concerned that my 1099 may be an issue on getting a loan. I also have one mark on my credit from an unpaid medical bill from four years ago. I paid it two years ago, but it's still showing up. I have enough cash for a 20% down payment. I'm worried about rising interest rates and whether this is a good time to start. Also, do you have any advice on what I should do to get pre-approved for a loan or where? Well, that's a silly question. There's mortgage brokers everywhere that you can talk to about getting pre-approved. If you'd like, reach out to me and I'll get you in touch with my team that does my loans. Happy to do that for you. We're the one brokerage because we're the one brokerage that can do it all. Now, as far as your question about is now a good time to invest, it depends on the market. So I will say right now, I don't really know much about West Virginia. I don't own any property there, and I don't know anyone else that does either. So I can't tell you if it's a good time to invest in your market, but in the markets that I'm investing in, I think this is the best time to invest. Now, let me tell you why and the perspective I have. And then you can decide for yourself if you agree. So I am investing in markets that I think are going to be very strong for the future more people are moving there than normal. Okay. So there still is not enough supply to keep up with the demand that's going to push rents and it's going to put prices of those assets higher. At the same time, rates have gone up, meaning a lot of people are scared. So there's less buyers competing with me for these homes than there was before. So I don't have to go in as fast or as aggressive as I was going in specifically because other people are getting out. So I have all of the, the long-term upside with inflation that continues to spiral out of control with the near-term upside of less competition. So I'm going at it hard. I'm looking to buy some really expensive properties very soon because these interest rate hikes have caused everybody to slow down. Now, depending on when you're listening, to this, my, this advice might be 
uh, of a different value. But the Fed has said they're going to continue to raise rates, which means when everyone who goes, oh, no, interest rates went up, I don't want to buy real estate, when they realize that they're going to keep going up, today's rate that feels expensive will seem cheap. And when the rates seem cheap, everyone's going to jump back in and you're going to get another flood of people that are all trying to buy real estate. So I actually think that this is kind of the best of both worlds. This is a unique opportunity. This is the same thing I saw when I bought, when I bought my Maui condos. Those have both gone up between three and $400,000 each in about a year since when I bought them because I recognized the same thing. The shelter in place happened. A lot of people thought, oh, don't buy real estate. There's a crash coming. I saw the window. I jumped in when everybody else wasn't jumping in and boom, I did really well on those. So that's my advice that I would give to you. Also, if you're worried, instead of putting 20% down on one house, what if you put 5% down on a house to live in and then next year did the same and then next year did the same and spread that money out over several properties and just house hacked? That would be the best way to reduce your risk if that's what you're looking to do. And John, as far as your 1099 income, if you have a stable work history where you've done it and you've claimed this on your taxes, which I'm sure you have, you can get approved to get a loan with 1099 income. It just takes more time. It takes more effort for the processors to get all your information together, to submit it to the underwriter. The underwriter has a lot more questions that they have to verify because you're probably making different amounts of money every month. If that's not the case, it's even easier. But don't let your 1099 income deter you. You just need to find a more mortgage broker and let them know your situation and they'll tell you what they can do for you. Your other option is a debt service coverage loan where they're going to use the income from the property instead of your own income. Here is what I would say for someone in your position. I would advise you to get a 30-year fixed rate and not an adjustable rate mortgage, even if the teaser rate is lower. Because unless you're in a position where you have overtime that you can work or you can earn more income, you don't want to end up with a loan that's going up over time faster than you can make up the difference in money to get it paid. All right, that was our show for today. I want to give a big thank you to everybody that submitted a question, and I want you to do the same. Please go to biggerpockets.com slash David and submit your questions there so that I can answer your question and we can have more of these Seeing Green shows to learn from. If you enjoyed this, please let me know in the comments. And if you say something funny, insightful, clever, we will make sure that we read it on a future episode of this podcast so that other people can hear what you said and then let me know what you think of the show. If you want to hear more questions about a certain topic, let us know. My production team will read those comments and they will find the stuff that you're looking for. Lastly, please subscribe to us on YouTube and share this with someone else that you think might benefit from hearing it. If you would like to get in touch with me or follow what I'm doing, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, pretty much all of them at davidgreen24. There's an E at the end of green. Or you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash davidgreenrealestate. Go give me a follow there. Thank you, everybody. If you've got some downtime, go check out the Bigger Pockets website. They have an amazing forum with tons of questions being asked, literally the best in the world. They also have a very, very strong blog section that I used to just read religiously when I was new, learning how to invest in real estate. I read every single blog that ever came out and learned a ton from that. Bigger Pockets has a lot to offer you more than just this YouTube channel or just this podcast. So go check it all out.
There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.